So the finishing rate remains 100% for one of the best Canadian prospects in the world. Let's set one thing straight about tonight. This show is for us. This was a Canadian show. This was Canadian MMA coming back strong, baby. Please tell me that's on video. I've never been happier. I'm made for a fucking podcast. <laughs> it's dangerous. Listen to me, we're at it. Here we start. I have a new camera, so now I'm looking at like a three quarters of my torso, which is even worse because I ate like a fatso. This yeah. week, I was in New Hampshire with Bert. We were doing these festival shows, and I just Bert, right Bert Kreischer, Bert Kreischer. And whenever there's catering, Matt, like whenever they just have a nice catering, I just can't resist. I don't know why. I feel you like it doesn't count. Be, you cannot be a piggy a little bit. I can't not be a little rooting around piggy boy, and I was oink oink, oink my my good friend. I'm sorry. Not, you see my little cup? What's it say? I can't. My I'm going blind size of my head well it's like, what is that oh uh, daddy that's very nice love you daddy that's very nice yeah thank you it was father's day i know i know i uh left traded messages i i left my father a message and then i got a message back from him where he's going yeah it looks like it's gonna rain just talking to my mother not realizing that the recording was happening whenever right. old people leave you messages they just they never really know what they're doing that's so great does he text your father or no but no, they're not good at that. They're in their 80s, so I, I have, I'll call them again today. Um, what did you think, Matt, uh, about the card? We have uh, Mike Malott, who had such a great win uh, over Adam Fugit on, I think that was two weeks ago at 289. Um, what did you think of the uh, Keith Peterson's mistake in uh, uh, Argueta against Lawrence? Uh, I mean, that's a very, very tough he, You know situation. who felt awful about that was Keith Peterson. Yeah. Uh, that fight was, where was it? The no contest one. Yeah. Where, where was it? In Vegas. No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm looking at the, the card. Which, which fight was it again? I'm sorry. Oh, that was, it was, it was, uh, are you asking the main card? No, I'm asking about the fight that, that happened where they, where Keith Peterson fucked up and he, that's what you're talking about, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Keith uh, Dan, Ar- Dan Argueta against Ronnie Lawrence. Uh, uh, yes. I see it right here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I knew it was early on. Yeah. It was a pretty, yeah, that was so unfortunate because, you can't really ask any more for a um, uh, first appearance like that from uh, right. from Orgetta. Uh, Orgetta, or, or uh, was looking great, and you know the way it happened. If you look at the way it happened, uh, like with, with um, Keith Peterson's point of view, a lot of times guys check the arm to see if they're like limp or not. You right. know, you can't really see if they're if when they're caught in a choke. So I know it's very stressful, but he had his arm up like it's a route about ready to tap. Yes. So when Keith goes to grab it, it wasn't like it was limp and he pulled it away. So when, when the guy when um I'm sorry, when uh Lawrence pulled it back, it made it, like he tapped. It hit, yeah. Um, it, it it hit the yeah, it hit his body. It's silly and it's it's a silly mistake, but we are only human. It was like a rubber band snap. He he pulled the arm back and it just kind of snapped and hit the body. Yeah, I, I feel bad for everybody involved. Uh, 
at least you know I'll I'll, I'll get a got the show. Sure. People and got he seemed, yeah. I started to interrupt you. He seemed we, and we have Mike Ballard is in the uh, waiting room. He's going to be with us for the whole show. We should bring him in after that amazing uh, when he had over uh, Adam Fugit. Uh, I, I want to say it was two weeks ago. Um, yeah, he seemed to handle it pretty well. Like he, he didn't seem too broken up about it in the cage. He seemed like, you know, all right, it is what it is. And, you know, back to the drawing board. Yeah. I mean, you know why? Because he knows he won. You know what I mean? Yeah. He that was won. very close. I'm excited to see him back. What was very close? That, no, to, to, the, to tapping. I mean, it, it yes, was like he, yeah, he knew yeah, he, he was close. Yeah. I want to know why can't they ever like I, I know that like why can they never restart a fight like why can they never I guess once it's called it's called what, can't they just put them back in the same position yeah it's kind of it, it that's kind of tricky man I know but it, it, these guys train so hard then to get a no contest and hey Mike how you doing hey how's it going guys thanks for having me on good thanks for joining us where, where are you right now you in Sacramento no, I'm in uh, Burlington, Ontario, Canada. So I've moved back to Canada uh, for the past uh, about 18 months. I've been living back home full time. Okay, so are you training up there or do you kind of go back and forth? No, I've been training up here full time. I go back to visit the guys every once in a while. Just, you know, that's my team for life and love those guys and uh, still really close with them. So Danny Castillo's cornered me my last few fights uh, up until this weekend. He wasn't able to make it. And then uh, I'll actually head down with Danny Castillo uh, to corner uh, Andre Feely in, in London next month. So still really close to a lot of the guys. Just, um, you know, been homesick, been wanting to live back home, and the training's yeah. really picked up around here. And uh, and I just feel really comfortable training at home. And just the, like, the, 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 the feeling of being around family helps a lot too, man. Like, it makes this journey a lot happier. Yeah, more comfortable. Hey. Yeah. Nice to meet you, first of all, Mike. Nice, nice to, to meet, meet you. you. And uh, what a beautiful, what is it, um, high-risk guillotine? Is that what we're called? Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Yes. Yeah, so I always, I'm, I'm a big fan of the high-elbow guillotine. It's something I was very effective mm -hmm. with. But guys yeah. with the lankier arms, you see, like you didn't even need to finish that with your other arm. You had that just with, with one arm, correct? And then you finished it off, but... Did you need two arms with that? Was it, I saw it wrapped up where? No, I often won't connect hands with that. I just find body positioning is enough to secure the choke and just putting your weight behind it is enough to get usually a pretty frantic tap. And there are benefits to having, certain benefits that I find having like with the overhook or like a, a floating secondary hand. So as he went to his back and, and I followed into mount. I was, I, I think I posted my hand for a second, forehead posted on the mat, and I was going to switch to the high elbow just because we had gotten to mount and I was securing the position. But before I was able to connect my hands, it was already really tight and he tapped. So I didn't need to uh, secure the hands uh, on that one. Do you get that one a lot in training or no? It looks like it was nothing new to you. No, that one's, that one's definitely one of my go-tos. I've had like a lot of really high level guillotiners helping me throughout my career. Like my, my coach is now uh, Andre Grandbois has a great guillotine, Felipe Braggio, my coach in now Hawaii, but from Sacramento. Obviously, like Uriah Faber has been famous for it, and I trained with them forever. And then one other one was I got a lot of great details from the, the uh, John Donaher front headlock instructional, and that helped me a lot. Oh, uh, yeah, because Gordon Ryan's is, oh, yeah. is money at that. Oh, that was the last one was I saw him. Uh, th that was the first time I saw that variation was uh, 
Gordon Ryan hit it. I can't remember who he hit it on. I think it was like a big ginger dude in uh, EBI, but he just like, it was so nonchalant how he like sat back. And I think he hit like, a, maybe hit a foot sweep or maybe I'm thinking of the Keenan Cornelius match, but he hits like a, a foot sweep, sweeps and then steps over in a mount with it. I think, oh man, it was just like, I watched it like 15, dude, I used to sit and just watch the old EBIs like repeat, repeat, repeat. That's how I first got like, really into a lot of submissions like developing a leg lock game and developing a lot of like strangles and back attacks was like just watching those ebi matches those were absolutely incredible how long were you training karate before you started uh jiu-jitsu um so i started at like a karate gym but we kind of had like kickboxing and mma so it wasn't like i ever really had the gi on and climbed those ranks too much i think i got to like a green belt or something and then they started offering more like kickboxing so i just I was like, you know, I don't need to be doing like this stuff in like katas. So I'm just going to do like <laughs> the little jiu-jitsu I could. And, you know, my original coach had like a, our jiu-jitsu at the time was like he had a BJ Penn textbook and I had an Eddie Bravo textbook. And we'd like flip to a page and be like, all right, this is what we're doing today. So that was pretty cool. Um, but it was just like small town mixed martial arts. Like that's where, you know, that's where the sport was at the time. It's wild to see like a black belt on every corner now. Cause I, you know, I, I had never met one before. Um, you fight, but, but. Oh, sorry. So you're fighting at 170 uh, yeah. and your, your only loss, I think was to Dawa do it. And it was like 147. You had missed uh featherweight. You, you fought at three different weights in a relatively yeah. short period of time. Uh, was that loss pretty much because was it hard for you to cut? Did you have a tough cut that time and you just couldn't go that low anymore? I mean, number one, Dawa is and was an absolute beast, right? Like he, he had, something like 60 Muay Thai fights at the time, pro Muay Thai fights. So he was like a really high level striker. And I think just more like ring savvy and mature as far as fighting goes. I was like young and coming up and had like some skills and some talent, but I was like a big fish in a little pond and I wasn't used to fainting and not having guys, you know, scared of me. And, you know, I, I kind of, I got away with stuff being the big fish in the small pond. And, and part of it was that, that, mental immaturity of like why isn't he scared of me and it, like overthinking things like thinking back to what was going through my head at that time i'm like that was way too much thinking way too much you know stuff that didn't matter um there were some weird things that camp as far as injuries and stuff anyway but yeah the, the cut was absolutely brutal uh, i missed for the only time in my career and uh yeah that definitely didn't help i think you know one his level of skill two my immaturity in three feeling like you're wearing lead boots in a cage just because you're so zapped definitely played uh, some different hands in the, in, in the outcome for sure. Right. You yeah. know, let's take it back a little bit. I want to start. You said that you started a small town, a very small town, small town, mm -hmm. small martial arts. Yeah. Uh, how did you end up with the alpha males? How did that happen? So I lost that fight to Dawudu and had just finished university right around that time. I kind of, uh, you know, I was like moving back home to Ontario from, I was living in, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, training at uh, what was called Titans at the time. It's still Titans, but uh, Henzo Gracie Halifax now. So it's an affiliate of yours. Um, but uh, I was basically like, okay, I need to find what I think will be the next place I'm going to train and like the last place I'm going to train. I don't want to be a guy who jumps around and joins a new team every two years and is looking for like the next 
sizzle in the pan, you know, like I want to find a team I trust and I can build with, I can help build and I can help, you know, build myself with them. And alpha male seems like a really great team environment, not just like a gym where pros went to train. It seemed like kind of a brotherhood and like almost like the collegiate wrestling team that I, you know, I, I never had, I never grew up wrestling. So I, I always admired that about wrestling. Um, and one of my teammates from Ontario, uh, Josh Hill, who's a, an elite in Bellator, really high level guy is on the ultimate fighter. Uh, he used to go down there to train. So I got their manager's number, uh, Dave from, from, uh, Josh messaged them and just kind of showed up in favor, you know, sh showed up first day of practice and favors like, so how long are you in town? I'm like, Oh no, I, I brought a hockey bag and a gym bag. Like that's all my stuff. Like I'm, I'm living down here. He's like, Oh, cool. Awesome. And, uh, so just kind of moved down there and found a spot to live pretty quickly and found a job. And, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to have to, uh, go to wars with like the best guy and best guys in the gym. And hopefully that gets me noticed. And I kind of fit in with the guys and that's kind of how it worked. Like just going to war right off the bat with, you know, when I was fighting at featherweight at the time, going to war with like Chad Mendez, helping him get ready for Connor that short, like week and a half period and going to war with like TJ Dillashaw at the time and, and Cody Garbrandt, you know, he had just made his debut and we were like boxing, beating each other up and, and uh, you know, just having like some good gym wars with the guys It kind of like, brought me into the inner circle pretty quickly. They're like, all right, man, you're, you're cool. Like, come hang out with us. Mike, what happened to you? There was I, I, it's almost four years you laid off professionally, right? It was uh, from February 17, then you, you came back and fought December of 20. What, yeah. And you were doing some coaching, so it wasn't like you were out of, out of, the, of the MMA world. What, what made that decision for you, and what ultimately brought you back to it? So after the February fight in 2017, I had – over the next like six to eight months, like several fights fall through, like some of them the absolute last minute, like the day before weigh-ins type thing. And it just like, I think that partially played a factor, but I was just starting to feel like burnt out, I guess. At the time, I just didn't want to fight anymore. Like I, I was looking for another fight. I'm like, okay, another fight fell through the day before weigh-ins or whatever. And, and uh, I was like, okay, yeah, let's look for another one. And we were in talks to try and get another fight. You know, talking to a promotion, they were looking for guys. And I was like, yeah, I guess maybe I win this one. And then hopefully UFC. And like, I remember having that thought with myself and not being excited about the opportunity to fight in the UFC at the time. I was like, I don't even really want to do that. It's like more just to do it because I set out to do it. Right. Rather than like what I really wanted to do. And I was like, well, this isn't baseball, man. Like, this isn't soccer. This isn't a game you can play. Like, this is fist fighting in a cage. Like, you need to love this. And it's not even, it's not like I was making good money at the time. You know, the fight paychecks were like 800 bucks at the time. So it was like, all right, I'm going to put all this work in just to lose money. And, and uh, you know, it just, I didn't have the desire. I didn't really want to do it. So I called uh, Uriah Faber and Danny Castillo and kind of talked to them about it. Like, you know, I think I'm going to hang them up. I might just do some jujitsu for a while and, and take some time off and not think about competing in MMA. And right at that time, Faber was like, well, most of the guys don't know this, but one of the head coaches of Alpha Male is leaving next month and we'll need somebody to help guys with their striking. You're a good striker. Like, do you want to see if they'll be interested? I was like, yeah, sure. I'd been coaching like amateurs for a long time and like at UFC gyms, like recreational members. And uh, right off the bat, a, a bunch of the guys wanted to work with me. So I just like got thrown straight into cornering UFC fighters. And uh, my first three guys that I cornered were Turuto Oshihara, 
Darren Elkins and Cody Garbrandt. And for our first three opponents, they were a debuting Piotr Jan, an unknown Australian at the time, Alexander Volkanovsky, and TJ Dillashaw. Like, wow. We just had three absolute murderers to go up against <laughs> for the first three fights. And I'm sitting there 0-3 after my first three. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I swear I'm not doing – like, I know we're doing the right things. I know I'm helping these guys. Like, what What do we need to do? And then fast forward a couple of years, you're like, oh, okay. Like, those are some of the best fighters ever. Like, no That's shame funny. there. That's yeah. hysterical. They're thinking you're the bad luck charm. You're like, no, it's yeah. not me. You're like, like, this first three fights, get him out of the corner. No, I'm like, Dude, seriously. would have got you the fuck out of there. Longer <laughs> superstitious. What, what finally brought you back, though, Mike? What, what, what finally made you go, I want to do this again? Honestly, just passion. I had been competing quite frequently in jiu-jitsu, and I got, like, obsessed with jiu-jitsu, and I wanted to make the ADCC cha- uh, chase. I did the trials in 2019 and, and, and did okay. Didn't, didn't qualify or anything, but I, you know, I had, had a couple, you know, had some okay matches and stuff and, uh, did a bunch of like super fights, like fight to win and, uh, other, other like super fight matches. I did one more in Ontario, uh, back home. I, I competed against a guy I know who's a Ryan Dixon. who's like a solid black belt. We, we went at it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to treat this one more like an MMA fight. Like I'm going to get ready for it. Like it's an MMA fight. Cause the fire was kind of coming back a little bit. I'm like, maybe I will compete again someday. And it was just still like, you know, I don't know if I actually really want to do it. It was kind of, it, it was, it started to buzz a little bit more in my head. Like maybe I will fight again someday. And then the pandemic hit like a month later and it was just like locked in the house, going for runs, working out in the garage, like training with a couple guys at the skate park once a day, you know, skate park by our house. But otherwise you're just kind of sitting around. Like it was a lot of solitude. There's a lot of time to reflect on life and see what I want out of life. And especially with the pandemic at the time, not knowing how dangerous this thing was going to end up being. It's like life's fragile, man. I don't know how, how, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Like this curveball came out of nowhere. How many other curveballs are there? You know, I'll be on my deathbed someday. How do I want my life to have been written? What do I, what, what stories do I want told about me? How do I want to look back? What will make me feel happy? And I'm like, you know what? I think I need to give this thing another real chance, a real chase. I, I love this sport. I, I love competing. I think I need to feel a little more fulfilled with the work that I've put in. I don't want to be some like, you know, some old dude someday sitting on a bar stool with UFC fights on me being like, yeah, I was pretty good one day. And people, you know, oh, did you ever fight in the UFC? Like, uh, no, no. They're like, okay, well then probably weren't that good. You know, not that other people's opinion is like the the catalyst for, for, me going back into fighting but still it's like i want to feel like satisfied with with what i did in the sport and there there was there was some food left on the table you know right. there was some stuff left on the table I, I wanted i wanted another shot at that stuff so i'm really glad i came out of you know that retirement i guess and and came back to fighting took you know first fight back took a short notice fight it was like 12 days notice or something against some undefeated killer at the time and went into his hometown moving up a weight class four years off like all the chips were stacked against me and the kid came out hot for the first minute and caught me with a couple good shots and i just stayed calm i was like this storm will pass stay stay calm stay settled excuse me and then he came in a little overzealous and i dropped him with the right hand and and uh took his back and strangled him and uh yeah got on contender series after that and then now the ufc
about good shots. What about your leg kick, that body kick that you start? You started that fight off where it was like, oh, forget <laughs> it. You know, your opponent. I'm sorry. What was his name again? I'm sorry. Adam Fugit. Uh, Adam, Adam Fugit. Yeah. Fugit. That's the name. Fugit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was like, ah, fuck, start over. No, he wasn't like that. But yeah. it was, it's one of those things where you get hit there. It's hard to have a nice poker face, you know, because you oh, knew, yeah. did you feel, did you knew you heard, you knew you heard him right off the bat? Yeah, I felt that it, it just grazed, but I felt the toes wrap, you know, where it just like wraps in the body. You feel it like go under the ribs. And he tried to poker face it, but his elbows came down and he, yeah. and then tried to play it off i'm like no 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 no! i saw that buddy like you're hurt bad right now we're 15 seconds in and you're you're you can't breathe like okay well i'm gonna give him a little bit of pressure i'm not gonna you know go balls to the wall and and put all my chips in one because we're 15 seconds into a 15 minute fight two if i've hurt him once i can hurt him again and three he's a dangerous dude man the guy was like a muay thai champion he has a big right hook he'd stopped eight of his nine opponents um he was solid and he was tough like i've seen him take beatings and like take good shots in fights and recover well so i'm like okay it's it's early he's he's fresh he'll probably recover quickly from this i'm, I'm gonna you know measure myself a little bit i'm not gonna run in head first and get caught with some stupid counter but i'll give him a little pressure see if i can put him away and if i can't then i'll get back to picking him apart that's you know that's like one notch so far all right i'm just gonna keep adding these up. I'm going to tax the body as much as I can. I'm going to tax whatever else I see. You know, I thought the body shots would pay a lot of dividends against him because he moves his head a lot. He leans back a lot, which can make it tough to find his head, especially with how long his reach is. He's got a 77, 77 inch reach and he leans well and also leans hard with that right hook. So if you're overextending coming forward, it, it can be tough to touch his head and it can be easy for him to counter you. So I didn't want to rush in and try and headhunt after hurting the body uh, quite so early. I thought I could maybe freeze him up a little bit more with early body taxing and uh, worked out well for me. And all that was kind of one of the things that led to the finish was we got in kind of a, a kicking battle back and forth, a little bit of like a Muay Thai pissing contest. Like he kicks me, I kick him, he kicks me. And then I faked the kick and he went to cross check it. Right. So he lifted that lead knee. He's like, Oh, if you kick me, I'm going to break your foot. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not breaking my foot. I'm breaking your jaw, buddy. So I came around with the, the two hooks and, and, and both landed quite flush. And man, that guy can take a shot though, dude, because yeah. he gets rocked. You see his eyes roll, yet before his butt hits the floor, his hands touch and he's already like forward shifting to start wrestling up. I'm like, dude, you got a chin on you, man, because I cracked you pretty hard with those two. Yeah, it's a Michael Myers shit. Yeah, <laughs> coming back up at you. Oh my god! It's like Marvin yeah, Vittori. It's like watching Vittori. Yeah. I mean, how how crazy is that fight? Cannoneer sets the I think a significant strike middleweight record. I mean, considering all the amazing middleweights you've had besides Adesanya, Anderson Silva, so, so many amazing strikers, and Vittori just cannot be finished. It's fucking crazy that there are guys who exist like that. Just a zombie. It's wild that Cannoneer was able to set that record. I think I saw a post saying it was like the fourth highest uh, significant strikes landed in the fight. The first two belonged to Max Holloway, the third to Rob Font versus Cheeto Vera fight. He ended up losing. Yep. And then the fourth it said was 
um, Cannoneer and Vittori. It's wild to think that someone that size set that record. It's not like another flyweight, right? And it's not like it's just a middleweight. Like Cannoneer fought a long time at heavyweight and light heavyweight and then came down to middleweight. The fact that he can sustain that level of output is absolutely wild. Isn't he 39 too? I think he's 39. Yeah, he's that old. Yeah, he, he's 39. Really? I was going to say, you got to point that out also. So yeah. not That's only crazy. you get a record like that from a bigger guy, but yeah. a guy who's like pretty much 40, which is crazy, man. That's wild. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Against a guy like Vittoria who just keeps coming forward too. I think Marvin won that first round, but then I think yeah. the other four went to a, to Jared, it's like you, you're watching two guys kind of, you can see that they're both desperate to get another title shot. Like those are two guys yeah. like Victoria's not going down and Jared no. just seems like he wants out of Sonya again. Um, do you watch a lot of the other fights or do you, how much tape do you watch on a guy that you have to fight or do you prefer to let your coaches do that and not give yourself anything visual? I prefer to study guys in my weight class outside of camp. So this is something like, I just like, like to make a lot of notes on guys when I, I don't have fights um, just kind of like, okay, what would this guy do? How am I, you know, stacking up, keep kind of keeping myself honest against the division and, and guys that I'll likely end up fighting when I get a fight, I watch film, but I don't overstudy. I hear some guys just like watch their guy every day, all day. I'm like, look, man, I'm looking for, I'm looking for a handful of things. I'm looking for tendencies. I'm looking for, unique attributes i'm looking for things that this guy leans on when he's in trouble i'm looking for things that this guy uses when he's having success or what he uses to have success i don't need to like i don't need to know what he does at every second of the during every second of the fight because i think overstudying can get you in trouble i think one it can develop like too much respect for your opponent or not enough and the the, the probably the biggest thing that I'm concerned with is no one owes me anything to stay true to their previous styles. So an example for me is like, for, for me, if you studied me fighting Mickey Gall as Johan Lanus, the next guy I fought in the UFC, you're like, okay, I'm fighting an orthodox boxer, basically. Like this guy boxes and he's looking for like hooks on the inside. That's okay. That's all we've got to watch out for. And then my next fight, I fought Johan Lanus. And I come out southpaw with long kicks up the middle, barely threw any punches, mostly kicks. The guy closed the distance. I took him down and strangled him. It's like, if you overly studied me and you're like, this is what we have to watch out for. This is what this guy does. Just prepare for this. You fought a different fighter, right? So there's nothing to say like anyone has to fight the same style. And, and I'm under the assumption that everyone's training as much as I am. Everyone's trying to make the same improvements that I am everyone's adding new skills to their game like I am. I don't actually genuinely believe most guys are doing that, but I train as if these guys are doing everything to add new weapons to their to their game. And so I, I want to have like a well-rounded offense and defensive skill set and be able to analyze in the moment um, to adjust to, to the things that I maybe didn't expect. Another... Another example for me would be um, Rory McDonald versus uh, Robbie Lawler. So watching that fight, I know Rory McDonald and Faraz Ahabi did a ton of film study. Like just based on what I've heard about Faraz Ahabi, I know there was like 
that guy is an MMA genius. He is laser focused. He picks fights apart. He's an unbelievable coach. I met him last week. Super nice guy. Um, and then obviously they programmed things for, for Rory to be prepared for. And I think one of the things that they were expecting was in the open stance, Robbie being Southpaw and Rory being Orthodox was they were expecting the overhand left from Robbie consistently. Rory's attempt to beat that was to step straight in head to the near side shoulder and throw a rear elbow and, and try and catch him with the elbow on the inside to one defend himself from the overhand and two to land a big elbow shot. He kept throwing that, but Robbie adjusted almost immediately and just stuck to straight left. So every time Rory would come in to try to catch him with the elbow, he'd walk face first into this elbow. And I saw him, continually go back to that they must have trained that a lot like this is going to be like something that you're going to have this is going to be something that you're going to be able to fall back on consistently but Robbie made a good adjustment that negated that and and the the adjustment in the fight on on Rory's side unfortunately for him wasn't able to be made in the moment maybe he got rocked and like wasn't able sometimes you don't know what you're hit with and you're like okay well I'm just going to go back to what we've been working and it's like actually the thing that's getting you in more trouble right so he so, didn't adjust. He didn't adjust to Lawler's adjustment, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now that's easy for me to say, sitting on a lawn chair in my backyard, like <laughs> I'm not in a fist fight for a world title and 25 minutes deep, right? Uh, and Rory's, you know, unbelievable. So you know, well, I'm sure they've made the adjustment. Right. But you're but, right. Yeah. You're, hey, listen, you fight the way you train. So right. if he trained right. like that and if he made that muscle memory and that was mm-hmm. he was going to the well with that. Mm-hmm. That's what you're asking. You know, the tape could hurt you. There's something mm-hmm. about you know having a game plan, but being able to uh, go to plan B or C or D if you have to. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, my my coaches and I talk about it. I kind of like just said it in my not my last fight, but the fight before my post fight interview. And my coach, my striking coach, Kuro Lin, absolutely loves it. He's like, I said something about like people were saying like, is this the game plan doing this against him? I'm like, look, man, I like to jam. Like I practice my chords, I practice my scales. And then I just like to get out here and play, you know, like I know how to, I know how to use my crafts. I know how to use my tools. I have some things in mind. I know what I need to watch out for, but otherwise I'm like very feeling based. I feel what's in front of me. I feel what, what, what is open or what I I think I can create rather than like stick to a rigid script. And I'm like, I'm going to push kick and then I'm going to fake push kick and do this. And then I do this, this, it's like, no, man, I know how to fight. I know I, I, I train very, I, I, I make sure every stone's turned. We're doing the right things. I, I believe in that. I can go out there and play. Now, let me ask you now, because I, I read here that your brother, your younger brother, Jeff, is a uh, professional hockey player. Yes. And you being from Canada, see, right now, after the other night, with that finish in Canada, everybody cheering your name, you're like Captain Canada. Everybody's cheering for you. <laughs> It was a beautiful thing. Your family, I'm sure, is very proud. But let's take it back to younger Jeff. Younger, your younger brother Jeff is is, is it like he was the golden boy? He's gonna be, you know, Canada. They love their hockey, and you're like the the black sheep fighting in a cage. I don't know how do you because you seem like a nice, clean cut kid. What are your parents? How do they take all this in? What does your family think of all this? You know, I, I think to, to a mild degree, that kind of was the <laughs> format where it's like Jeff's a, Jeff's going to be a, probably a professional hockey player. He played uh, 
he went to Cornell for hockey. So like for, for, for university to play hockey there, got recruited to Cornell, like goes to Ivy league school. I went to university too. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, necessarily like a troublemaker or anything, but I'm sure there probably was, especially early on with my parents, like, what is this kid doing? Like, when is this phase going to be over? And he's going to like, you know, get a job and, and pull it together. I'm like, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty committed to this. And they're, yeah, yeah they've been supportive all the way through. Um, despite it clearly not being what they had wanted for me the most, you know, yeah. I, which I can't blame them. You know, I'm sure I don't even have kids yet and I don't really want them to fight MMA, but uh, you know, it's a wild sport, but, uh, but they've been supportive all the way through, but now like, obviously I think really since kind of contender series, it, oh. it, it's been, it's been easier to see like, Oh, like you're act, like, you know, my coaches tell them, oh, you know, he's really good. They're like, yeah, yeah, sure. And I'm like, no, no, I'm coaching these really high level guys. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're, you're pretty good at this. And then get signed to the UFC. They're like, oh, wow, maybe he's actually good at this. And then like after each win and finally with this one, I think it, it is like a, you know, a bit more of a realization and, you know, they tell me they're, they're proud of me a lot and, and, you know, believe in me. So it, it, it is pretty, pretty awesome now. Do you, How do you feel your brother? Oh, I'm sorry, Jim. No, I was going to ask, you know, hockey could be a pretty rough sport. Not as yeah. rough as fighting in a cage, but it's rough. Well, yeah. you show your brother any uh, fist. You don't have to show him any flying arm locks, but you show him any fist of cups, any elbows he could use on the, uh, on the, on the, on the ice rink, there, in the ice rink there. Dude, we're heading to the gym after this. So he's home for the summer and we train together in the, train together in the summers. He comes to uh, my striking gym and he just works boxing. But uh, yeah, he's, he, he was in, you know, half a dozen fights this year on the ice. So he's like, more than yeah. you. That's funny. Yeah. He fights more than I do. Exactly. Yeah. He fights more than I do. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he puts the work in just like, he's like, no, I'm, that's going to be an asset of mine on, on the ice is like, if something goes down, I'm going to be able to, to drop dudes. So, you know, he's, he's not scared to mix it up. He drops the gloves pretty consistently. Isn't it crazy in a hockey fight to, to get their balance is so difficult on the ice to watch mm -hmm. two guys just hold each other's, jersey to keep balance and to stay close and just hit each other with the free hand and it's got to suck for the guy who's using his strong hand to hold the jersey and throwing with the uh you know the hand that you don't want to throw with yeah that's i feel like that's especially weird when guys fight in hockey in an open stance when a lefty and a righty line up and their lead hands are grabbing each other because it's just open traffic at least on the other side you can kind of impede the other guy's shoulder a little bit and hide behind your shoulder or like they throw a right hand, you kind of stuff their shoulder and hide your head and then come back. Whereas like the open stance is just two dudes, both pulling each other's heads forward and stalking <laughs> each other, like power yeah. shot, power shot, power shot. Open stances is, is wild on, on ice. There's definitely like, it's gotta be so difficult to fight with, with being on ice on skates, like just the balance alone is wild. And then another thing that we try to factor in with him is like, you know, I'm like, okay, measure my distance and, and figure out this guy's timing. He's like, dude, it's a 20 to 40 second sprint. And then it's over. Like, it doesn't matter if you gas, like you, you guys are just sprinting at each other. So we try to keep that in mind where it's like, there's no feeling out process. How do you get essentially like a series of five sucker punches in before this other guy right. is, is set. And there's that no way feints. you're already like, oh. yeah, there's not a lot no of fainting. Feinting, yeah. Yeah, so, but he has decked a few guys this year. I always forward them. They, they come up to, on Twitter for me, so I always, like, forward them to my striking coach, and he always gets so pumped. It's like, oh, dude, your brother's a beast. Like, he loves my brother, right? So 
it's pretty sweet sending those over to Cruella. And th- those don't get broken up right away sometimes because everyone's on skates. And a lot of times the refs are like, fuck this, we're not going in. Um, and, and they have to wait until there's a moment where they can get in there. But these guys will go. Any other sport, they break it up immediately. But in hockey, it's like, you guys are going to go for a few seconds until we see a chance to get in there safely and stop it. Dude, I love that about hockey and like the other main <laughs> Canadian sport, lacrosse, right? It's just like, they're just the two most Canadian sports. And uh, I think technically Canada's national sport is lacrosse, actually. But um, it's just like, for some reason, those sports just have free reign for fist fights. Like, if any of this ever happened in any other sport, it would be like, what, you know, meet people are having meetings like what do we do to make sure this never happens again how do we reprimand these these men how do we set an example for the kids and then and then you go to a hockey game and and, and just like and that's when everyone stands up they're like let's go and the dude sits in the box for five minutes and he's back on the ice and the boys are having a beer after the game you know it's pretty sick man i love i love that hockey's just like look you can't let this guy push your team around drop the gloves work it out settle the score set the tone for the rest of the game and, and back at her. I love it, man. I think it's so badass. It is crazy. Cause when you do think about it, if it happened in baseball or anything, so- well, soccer, they're a bunch of pussies. Yeah. <laughs> soccer, they, they do a little thing. They fall. They're like, ah, oh, they're doing the fouls. It's like, oh, easy. Like I get, dude, but, I get uh, that that's part of the game, but come on, man. Like have some fucking dignity, dude. It's like in those jujitsu tournaments when some of the guys would, Dude, there's no leg locks and they the reap. They force they a reap. Force, they force they the reap the and then ah. they go, oh, oh. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Yeah. I don't know. So Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy's doing jujitsu now. Oh, you understand what that means soon, Jimmy. The, the forced the, the forced reap is one of my like biggest pet peeves in combat sports, where it's like, bro, come on. Like, don't get me wrong, you can get your knee blown out if a guy Z locks you well, or like reaps like the uh Jake Shields, uh, Cub Swanson at uh, UFC's oh. quintet match, right? Like he also went into nasty. that the wrong way. Yeah, I was there. I don't like oh, that. Yeah. But, yeah. but like, come on, man. The guy like crossed your hip line, and now you're gonna cry about it and limp off, and then have another match ten minutes later where you're fine. Like, get the fuck out of here, man. Yeah, I've seen plenty of matches like that. There was no neck cranks. I remember there was a guy, Brazilian guy, like sat into a neck crank. He's like, hey, it's like, dude, when you win like that, it's like, where is the honor? Yeah, there's well, no yeah. shame. They just want yeah. that fucking medal. It's the same fuck. Yeah, it's the same guys that no one showed up for their bracket. So they get gold and they're like biting the gold. It's like, dude, you yeah. no one else showed up, you dork. <laughs> Let's see about the matches. Exactly. How are you feeling at 172? Uh, is, is this where you're going to stay? And, and what finally brought you to 170 where you were like, this, this is completely comfortable and I'm not going back down? Yeah, I'm staying at 170. So I was kind of forced to move up to 55. I had that fight against Dawadu. And then I did one more at 45 just as like a chip on my shoulder because I missed weight. And I was like, I have to do it again and like make weight. Right. And the few hours between getting on weight and sitting in the back and waiting to get on stage, there was like a period of time where it was still like an hour and a half out. And I was like, I don't know if I can weigh in. Like I might need to go to the hospital. Like this is, I'm, I'm not, this is not just like I'm dehydrated. This is bad. And uh, so I, I fought that fight to a draw again, underwhelming performance, kind of the two, definitely the two worst performances in my career. And I was like, look, man, you can't just, you know, like 
even right away, like I tied up with the guy. We went against the fence and I went to move him and I just felt so flat. I was like, oh, like just like, I just don't have any pop in, in this fight. I'm like, I can't do that anymore. So I didn't put on any more weight. I went up to 55, like staying the same size and felt great at 55. I had one fight with that one, felt explosive, felt great. My weight bounced back up perfectly. Uh, I knocked the guy out in like 30 something seconds, 36 seconds or something. And, uh, and then I took that kind of couple of years off and just did jujitsu. And again, I was focusing on competing at ADCC and the, the closest weight was 77 kilos. So I was trying to bulk up a little bit for like, which is like 169, I think. So I was kind of like bulking up for that. I'm going to do like a small cut to 170 to compete. And so I was like, well, I'll start doing some strength conditioning. I'm, I'm not really doing any striking anymore. So I'll just wrestle and grapple and and when I was doing striking, I'll do like strength training instead and kind of like had some fun actually lifting and putting on some size for, you know, being more athletic. But then also the like the vanity of it. I like to look in bigger, man. It feels good to feel a little bit more jacked, not be a skinny little, you know, not have just a, a pair of getaway sticks, you know. So it was, <laughs> it was, nice. it was cool, man. Uh, I felt good putting on a little weight and uh and honestly, I don't lift much anymore. You know, mostly, most of the lifting I do is other people in wrestling. Um, yeah. That's most of the strength conditioning. But uh, um, when I decided to go back to MMA and, and, and just, you know, I was like up too much to, to fight at 55. I probably could have found a way to make it, but it's one of those, like, you'd have to transform your body. Like, I probably have to lose like eight pounds of muscle. It's like, at this point, it doesn't make sense. Right. And, you know, I've felt the, I've felt the negative effects of overcutting and you think like, well, I'm going to be bigger for the weight. It's like, but your whole camp is based around making weight. You know, you get to the point where you're like, all right, which sessions am I going to be able to go all out and which sessions am I going to have to basically phone it in? Cause I'm on, you know, a ridiculously low amount of calories every day. You and I'm not see, recovering. Versus see, now it's like, yeah. with that? I was going to say, I'm sorry. I was going to say, you don't seem small for the weight class. What's your height? How tall are you? Uh, I'm 6'1", so I'm not short for the weight at six all. 6'1"? Yeah. Shit, man. I got the world weight title. I'm 5'6". <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm up to your nipples. Like, <laughs> like, growing up in Canada, were you a fan of the great George St. Pierre? Dude, I had the... I had the George St. Pierre poster on my wall. I had the signed picture. I met him when I was 15. So I had this picture too, Mike. George St. Pierre, like walk up to him, like, excuse me, sir, can I get the autograph? Dude, that was, that was, yeah, I was a huge fan. Yeah. You, uh, there was, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a huge fan of yours too, Matt, but that was a sad day in, in whatever, in high school when, when George St. Pierre fell. Oh man, that was, that was a hurtful day. Well, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure the next following year was a great year. I three had a <laughs> I'm sure you had a fucking kegger when I went to, <laughs> when I went to Montreal. I'm sure you guys had when an all-nighter there. Uh, the party. Oh, I still hear the <laughs> F.U. Sarah in my dreams. But, uh, yeah, he got his revenge. But what a what a great guy, George. I, now, I just get texts from George. No words, nothing. It's just uh, trailers of the latest Star Wars series that's coming out. So the other day I got something for Ahsoka. He's a nerd like me. This is yeah, what we do. yeah. There you go, man. Yeah, we're old enemies that we talked about sci-fi. But dude, that's friendship, man. Like, oh yeah. You know, my my you know, people laugh at me. I'm like, I don't really talk to my friends, but like I'll send Feely a meme every day or like 
something like that back and forth or some like song reference or some show reference with like my best friends down in the States where it's like, when's the last time I've actually gotten on a call with these guys? Like it's been a while, but we we're, we're ch- that's like male friendship. I feel like. Do you, do you, when you fight somebody, do you have to have any kind of feeling about them going into it? Guys are very different with this. Some guys can, can literally like uh, have no animosity. Some guys need there to be some uh, animosity. Like, you know, Sam Alvey could like literally, uh, could, could, could fight his roommate. Like he's one of those guys that doesn't need anything negative to get in there and fight. And some guys do. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely not. I, I, I mean, Johan Lanis was the fight before Fugit for me and we're friends. We trained together, uh, briefly for our debuts. And, uh, you know, I thought we were going to fight actually before we both got to the UFC. We both were, uh, he was the champion for CFFC and I was fighting for them. So I thought we were going to end up fighting and then we both got called up to contender series and we kind of laughed about that and trained together and then got matched up against each other. I think we just both had like, you know, people were kind of ripping on, on the UFC being like, why'd you put the two Canadians together? But people didn't know what was going on behind the scenes where it was like, he was my like third or fourth opponent for that fight. And he had another fight originally and his guy pulled out or got hurt or something to where it was just like, I think it just got to the point where, where uh, the matchmakers are like, you're like the two welterweights that are looking for fights right now. Like, I'm just going to put you guys together. You know what? It definitely wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a plan of like, no, we're going to put, we're going to put the Canadians together. It was just like, that's by default what ended up happening. But no, I, I like that guy a lot. He's cool, man. And we, we talked after the fight, we've been messaging like about potentially training together again and happy to help him or, you know, have him come out as a good sparring partner. But no, man, doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. I don't need to hate people at all. This is, this is a sport for me. And, the biggest actually factor I think is for me, my opponent has very little to do with this in my mind. Like this is my journey. This is my story. This is, it's my fight. Like I'm in there for me. I'm not in there for him. It's like the same reason I don't necessarily have like guys I'm like dying to fight. It's like, I I have goals that I want to achieve and, and I envision things And some, in some ways there are guys who, help you achieve those goals more than other, like more than others guys with like bigger names or higher rankings or whatever, but it's not like I'm dying to fight a particular guy. They're just like a nameless, faceless person to me. And you being uh, like, they were talking uh, very, very highly uh, about you and, and you're the, you're this a very, like they said, you know, he's for real and a new prospect and what, what's next for you and who are you looking at? And uh, you know, do you feel any additional pressure or, or has maturity kind of taken that, uh, that angle of it away? I think maturity and training have has taken a lot of that pressure away, both the physical training, making sure we're, we're turning every stone, but also I've been working with my mental coach for about 11 years now. And, and we've really picked up the amount of training we've been doing together, the amount of exercises. Like I put a lot of mental training in outside of my physical training. I feel like that helps a lot. Like one of his go-to sayings is like, pressure is a perspective it's it's what you make it and and that's how I felt last week was from some perspectives there was an immense amount of pressure on me right it I'm the last Canadian holding it down people are saying all these like kind things that I want to have people say about me like maybe you're the next guy out of Canada you're the you know you know, we're, we've been waiting for, for a, a good Canadian to come out. Like, I, I like hearing those things and I like hearing my name in that conversation and I don't want that to go away. You know, not that, again, other people's opinions aren't the be all and end all, but I can't sit here and pretend like it, it's 
it's not a nice spice on top of the meat and potatoes of, of the rewards of fighting and, and what makes me want to do it. But uh, <clears throat> there, there could have been a lot of pressure, you know, especially considering like the guy I was fighting. Everyone's like, oh, nobody knows who this guy is. They're just giving him some can. I'm like, no, this guy's very good right. at fighting and no one's giving him a shot. So not only do I have to beat this guy, but if it's even like remotely competitive, it's going to seem underwhelming. So it's like, it's not only, it's like contender series again. It's like, not only do you have to win, you have to look good and you have to be entertaining and you have to show the people what they want to see. Like it was, a, it was, it was a, a lot of pressure and, and, you know, having 20,000 Canadians screaming the whole time and, and people wanting to meet you all week and all this, all the media, like I've never seen a fighter, all the fighters I cornered, I've never seen anyone do anywhere near as much media as I did last week. Like it was all day, every day was packed from like when I wake up until we went to train in the evening. Like it was so much, so much media. And uh, I was really glad that I, I was able to like stay focused with that. You know, I, I, I kind of tried to embrace that knowing that like, well, if you do your job well, this should never change. You should have this much media. We shouldn't have any free time throughout the week anymore. You don't have things to fill the week. It should be media like this moving forward. That, that means you're doing your job right. So get used to it. And it was also by the, the Canadians were four and zero, I think, by the time you fought, right? Weren't you the final Canadian well, fighter? Well, yeah, the fifth. The fifth is uh, Deanna. She's from Romania. Oh, oh you Romania. were the fourth, yeah, right? Yeah. So I was the I was the fifth. Yeah. So I was the fifth. Oh, you are. Yeah, they were four and zero, and then and then it was you. Well, no, it was, it was five. So it was Deanna, uh, Deanna Belbita, Kyle Nelson, Jasmine Jazdavicius, Eamon Zahabi, uh, Mark Andre Barrio, and then me. Oh, there was so six. Was, there were six of us. So we went six and oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. Wild. So, so yeah, it was like, there's that pressure too. Like, <laughs> I, you know, all camp, I had considered that. It's like, okay, there's, there's five other Canadians on the card. At the time there was six. One of them had to pull out. It was Hakeem Dawood who had to pull out, unfortunately, but he was the other one on the card. I'm like, okay, what scenarios are there? Like, not only are there, there, there are five other Canadians, but three of them are like good friends of yours, Deanna, Kyle, and Jazz. Like, how do we, what possible scenarios are there walking into the cage and how do you feel doing that? And how do you get past any negatives that might be associated with this? Like two of my cornermen cornered two of the other earlier fighters. Okay. Cruel is your striking coach and he's cornering D and Kyle. Like there was the side of like, okay, if, if everyone goes five and zero, and you have to be the sixth, what's the pressure there where you're like, you're the last one. You can't ruin the night for everybody. You have to hold down the fort. You have to be the one to put a, the final nail in the coffin. You have to hold it down or everyone's lost. Not a single Canadian has won. And if you don't win, everyone's going to be bummed and everyone's going to say that Canadian MMA is dead. And it's just going to be a bad look for the country. And, and it's going to be a bad you know feel for the country for the night. I can't let that happen. So there's that. Or there's a mix of people winning and, and, and losing, but wow. Kyle Nelson and Deanna Belbita are cornered by my striking coach, Cruellin, and Jasmine Jazdavicius is cornered by her boyfriend and my wrestling coach, Chris Prickett. What if they lose or get hurt and have to go to the hospital and one of your coaches has to go to the hospital with them? So you lose a coach. You're down one coach. You're down two coaches. So now you have one coach in the corner. Like, what happens then? How do you feel then? How do you make the adjustments? Like, how do you go in still staying focused, knowing that your friend's on their way to the hospital and you have to like, and maybe they're fucked up. You know, you're like trying to stay in the moment and get in the zone. And you're like, one of your close friends is 
hurt and going into surgery or like, you know, something crazy. Like, how do you stay focused with that? So we went through a lot of visualization and, and mental tools in order to like prepare for those scenarios. So I felt really prepared even in the moment, like shit, like, all right, everyone's won. You, you can't be the only guy to not hold it down. But I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, it's a fist fight in a cage and none of that external pressure changes what's going on in there. I have one man in front of me. I'm fighting him the same way I would, regardless of all these of, of potential sponsors, of how my career might go if I win in front of the fans, you know, where I am on the card, whatever. None of that actually really matters. It's all external bullshit. Stay focused, go and beat this dude's ass. Your your brain, I can tell, works. Like you you like a lot of options and your mind probably turns things over a great deal. So when you're fighting, is that like a time where your brain finally turns off a little bit and you can just kind of focus on reacting as opposed to thinking uh, everything through with many angles? Yes. So I, I that's one of the things that I enjoy about fighting and I've really grown to enjoy it since coming back to MMA and, and being at welterweight is I feel like I'm a bit of an overthinker. And it's, it's an asset and a, a detriment depending on the, the time, right? In life, and I feel like most people are like this, where you're always kind of like looking ahead. It's like yeah. you're, you're, you try to be present, but there's always like, okay, I'm going to, after this interview, I'm going to the gym. And then I'm, okay, well, I got to pack for this thing and we're moving in a couple of days. Okay, I got to do this and that. So like there's, just, there's always a little bit of extra stuff in your head. When I'm in training camp, that vision is almost always for, at the time, June 10th. Okay, well, June 10th. Okay, does that guillotine work June 10th? Okay, that takedown that I got, how efficient was it for June 10th? Is it practical for this guy's style of defense? Is it, how does this play into June 10th? Everything is measured against the measuring stick of June 10th. By the time I get in the cage, I'm like, there's no looking ahead because we're here. Right. There, is no, there is no past this right now. There's a, you'll be a new man when you leave the cage and that guy will deal with everything after this right now everything you've prepared yourself to do is for this moment. So be present. And I think I do a really good job of shutting my mind off and relying on instincts when I'm in the fight. Again, when I fought the Hakeem fight, I was all in my head. And that was one thing my, my striking coach, Cruellin, and I talked about after that fight and after my Bellator fight against uh, Tomas Dion uh, that went to a draw. I was telling him everything that went through my head. He's like, dude, you're thinking way too much in there i'm like well that's how i am like how do i shut off he's like you've got to empty the glass you've got to rely more on instinct like the thinking should be done weeks prior and years prior but when you get in there we're not thinking which was like such a weird and intimidating suggestion where like it's like meditation it's like shut your mind off it's like okay well now i'm thinking about how i'm not supposed to be thinking right now you know like right. you know it, it, it's tough yeah. to do but I feel like focusing on just one thing at a time and focusing on what's in front of you makes it a lot easier. And I think the last couple of fights, especially I've done a really good job of just feeling silent in my head, hearing my corner, feeling like the crowd elevates my performance, not takes from it. Like I, I, I don't, I will obviously fight at the apex if they want me to, but I want to fight in front of crowds. I want to fight in Canada. I want to hear, 20 30 40 50,000 people screaming I like that now you know like it makes it even I feel like it makes me even better it, it raises my standard rather than a lot of people are you know gym heroes and then they get in the cage sure. in front of all those eyes and you just see them crumble and see those legs swell up and those hands shake it's like I love it yeah that's the biggest thing 
Like everybody's like, oh, I know, uh, I know my buddy from school. Yeah, he was a tough guy. He could have done that. Yeah, a lot of these guys that fight at the drop of a hat, uh, drop of a dime. I don't know, the drop of a hat. You can drop know. either. Yeah, you can drop either. Actually, <laughs> any of those guys that fight, you know, really quick in the street. That's uh, that's very impulsive. But you take that same guy, you say, oh, you're going to fight this same guy and you're going to fight him a week from now in front of 50 people. Ah, most of those guys wouldn't even show up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a big difference between having an organized fight versus a professional than getting a bump at a club and smacking somebody and then getting it broken up and all of a sudden you're a tough guy. I don't know. It, uh, no, you do know. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's because it's the exact opposite. They are opposing frames of mind where one is a complete lack of control in that I feel an instinct and I'm going to explode and go toward that and just lose my mind and seem like a tough guy. Whereas mixed martial arts is the exact opposite of that. It is the most control. You have to control who you are. You have to control those feelings because I've seen guys at fights, seen big, my buddy at heavyweight fighting another heavyweight and, and him in the back three hours before coming up to him and screaming, I'm going to fuck you up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And he's going off. And I just whisper in my buddy's ear. I'm like, He's about to have an enormous adrenaline dump. When he gets in the cage, he's going to be flat as fuck. Just chill. He slumped into the cage, like looking like he needed a nap. And boy, did he get one. Oh, ah, you, can't, <laughs> you, can't, hey. you can't lose it like that. You can't succumb to your emotions. You have to, you have to harness those. And you can't try to scare with a mean mug another professional. I mean, uh, you know... As a guy who doesn't fight for a living, the things that would work on me are not going to work on one of you guys. Uh, you know, a guy pretending I'm going to kick isn't Uriah Faber years ago. I interviewed him, said, I don't know what this guy was talking about. Like, we're going to fight. Like, yeah. what, like, what's the use of talking? We are stepping in there to fight. There's, there's, yeah. It's going to be settled. So all that shit beforehand means nothing. While we're talking about, yeah, okay. I was going right. to say, while we're talking about control, I, I, I got to just point out. Uh, Pat Sabatini the other night. Oh, bro. man. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's like a flawless victory. It was just control, 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 and then put him away. It was just so, it was very one sided. And, and wow, I mean, he just looked like a man on a mission. So I was just very, I was impressed with a, a, several guys the other. Have you seen the fights, Mike? Dude, he's, he's, so Sabatini and I have fought, fought on two cards together. One was the, the Fury grappling match in December, he grappled uh, Alex Caceres. And then both of our fights right before the UFC and Contender Series were on the same CFFC card, and he was the main event. He won that one by armbar. Other than the Damon Jackson front kick loss, all of his fights have been like that. Yeah. He is so good at controlling the narrative of a fight, forcing grappling exchanges in low-risk ways like it's not in a in a boring way he's just like he's so efficient at finding a way to get you to the ground to force yeah. you to four point to put in a leg ride to put in a hook to put in cross body control chip away at you he's in no rush he it's doesn't fun. he almost never takes step back he is one of my favorite guys to study i i really like yeah. pat sabatini he's he's very high level um i've also studied him because uh my one of my closest friends, Gavin Tucker's supposed to have fought him a couple of times and, and been out with with injuries. So I've I've ended up studying him quite a bit for that. Um, but man, he's so he's so good, man. He's really good. And he's got solid striking, but he yeah. clearly like uses it more so just to get to his his grappling exchanges. But it's extremely effective because he stays safe. He 
again, other than the front kick knockout loss. He doesn't seem to eat a lot of shots. He's 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 really good, man. I like watching him. Also, we had uh, yeah, he was fantastic. I mean, like a pit bull. Armin Sohukian was on our show the other day. Yeah, and uh, listen, he, you know when he fought uh, Joaquin uh, Silva. Silva, yeah, not, yeah. Not like Phoenix. What a fucking <laughs> he fought uh, Phoenix. Like, what the fuck's the matter with me? I'm so happy I got Joaquin down. I'm like, wow, oh, Phoenix, uh, <laughs> Silva, uh, and Silva was game. He was very game, and he actually. One punch he hit Armin, Armin with, it literally looked like a Looney Tune. All of a sudden, a bump come out, came out of it. Yeah. But I'll tell you, what I like about that is Armin uh, Sahukian looked phenomenal. And that punch showed, all right, man, he got hurt with that punch. Mm-hmm. It showed he had to deal with, with a little resistance yeah. in there. You know, yeah. So sometimes that's good, man. Some perseverance where he got hurt, but then he overcame and ultimately yeah. just got that finish. And he looked he looked really good. I mean, yeah. I was, sometimes I like seeing guys not get such an easy like it, it, the win yeah. looked almost besides that punch, it was practically flawless. I mean, it was really yeah. good. So, yeah. you know, he had to overcome a little bit of an obstacle by getting hit, and he did it, and he did it fucking with flying colors. Oh, yeah. He's he's another one of my favorite guys to study. He's again the, he he's he's so good at controlling where the fight takes place. He's got solid, he's super well-rounded, solid striking, really high level fight IQ, isn't afraid to to go for it. Like if he wants a single, it's not just like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to get this takedown as efficiently as possible. Like he'll chase it down too. If you start escaping, he'll chase it down hard and then start, you know, only pace himself when he's in control. Um, I mean, obviously the Islam Mahashev fight, the debut was absolutely incredible the fact that he was able to step up i think he did he take that one on short notice short notice yeah yes he did, he did. He like, said with, a, with a proper camp he said it'll be different he he was in that fight too <clears throat> bro that was a very competitive fight very competitive and he was like 22 at the time or something right 21 yeah. 22 he's a kid then next fight beats um mercier who is pfl champ now like absolute beast out of canada and another very high level grappler with a a a baseball bat of a rear left leg. Um, like he won that fight. Um, I'm trying to remember the details of that fight, but he, he looked great in that one. Um, dude, he, he is the only, the only speed bump recently has been Mateus Gamrot, who's an absolute animal as well. And that fight was just like the Mikashev fight, like razor close back and forth, five rounds. Neither guy could really solidify position on top because they're both high level scramblers and high level grapplers. But that was like, if you want to enjoy grappling. Yeah. That's what watch, watch Sarukian fight, watch Gamrot fight, watch Islam fight. Like those guys are the ones where it's like, no. And Sabatini, it's like, no grappling isn't boring. It's not just dudes holding each other. Like those are guys that are really good at what they do. They are bullies and they get finishes. And what do you think? Yes. Oh, you're about to ask. I don't know if you were going to ask the same things I'm about to say. Do you want to finish what you're going to ask? What I was going to say is, uh, what do you think uh, about the rest of the welterweight division? And who do you have your eye on? Uh, I mean, Ian Gary is fighting Jeff Neal. That's coming up, I think, uh, over the summer. What's that, 292? Am I crazy to say 292? Yeah, the Boston card, right? Yep. August, Uh, like, 8th or something? uh, Yeah, it might be, yes. Uh, It's Aljamain against uh, O'Malley. What what is your yeah. goal for for next, and and uh, how do you see your path going if things go the way you want them to go? 
So I think there will be top 15 kind of conversations right now, but I'm not going to get in the top 15 with the wins that I've had so far. Um, we need to step up the level of competition. I think what makes the most sense right now is someone who's just outside of the top 15. I think especially like a veteran would be, would be a, a good call. Like someone who's been around for a while, just cause you know, I, I, Mickey had been around for a while. And then the last two guys were kind of like, uh, you know, newish comers to the UFC. So well, someone Matt who Brown. Been, oh, sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What's that? They, I got too excited. Brown? Now I'm starting to think of some, you're saying a vet. What about Matt Brown, man? Shoot. Hey he's man, he's Brown. never, he's never scared of a good fight, man. That would be a great one. We, we kind of did like, I had some, I had some guys like push me like, right. You got to call somebody out. Like you're, you're, you're trying to get on the Canadian card. We got to start calling people out and kind of like push me to my comfort zone of like, all right, I'll call these guys out. And they're like, let's make a list of three. And they did uh, Ian, Gary, Tim means and, and Matt Brown to try and get for the Canadian card. And then later they were like, well, what about calling out Robbie Lawler? I'm like, fuck. All right. It's called Robbie Lawler. But I feel honestly kind of like a dick calling out the like OGs where it's like, Matt Brown doesn't need to fight me to prove that he's tough, man. Like this dude's been in the UFC since I was in fucking high school. Like this guy's an absolute badass. If yeah. those guys are down to fight me, I'm super down. Cause I've been fans of those guys for a long time. And I think it'd be cool for the Canadian fans to see me fight someone whose name they recognize, but you know, well, I, they, why not nice Jack Della uh, Madalena? He's fighting. Sean oh, he has Brady. somebody. Okay. Yeah. So he's fighting Sean Brady. Shit, man. That's going to be, feeling... that's going to be a killer fight, man. That fight's going to be good. Cause Brady's Brady's a, a Henzo guy too, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's under uh, Dan, Daniel uh, Gracie. Daniel Gracie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. That's going to be a sick fight, man. That's, that's one that I'll have my arm for hey, sure. That's going to be good. Don't be such a nice guy, Mike. You're such a nice Canadian guy. Listen, <laughs> Matt Brown, man, he'll just, he'll, he'll listen to this. He'll put some dip in his mouth and he'll get excited. <laughs> that guy, Fuck he's yeah. made for this shit. Yeah. He wants to show that he can take these young studs and, oh, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm no fucking Mick Maynard. I'm just saying. I just like <laughs> yeah. you were talking about vets, and I'm like, dude, that's yeah. a nice fight. That's a nice. I, who wouldn't want to see that, Jimmy? Yeah. I I Jimmy. got. Uh, so I wanna I wanna have a little bit of a break before I really yeah. get my next fight solidified. I've been in like camp for like seven straight months. Like I did Fury grappling, and then the next day started camp for for the Johan Lanis fight, and then is when I was in the back for the after the Johan Lanis fight, they said UFC's coming back June 10th. So I just didn't take any time off after that. So it's been since November, it's been pedal to the metal. So I want to have like at least a month of like, I was at practice today and I'm going back tonight, but just like without someone in mind where I'm like, okay, I have to prepare for this guy, but maybe we'll talk again in another month. Cause I have, I have two guys in mind. One I think would be like extremely exciting and would be, be like a cool fight. I just don't want to make that call right now. Oh, Alex Marino, you you might be talking about. Could be. He's he's a solid fighter too. That would be an awesome one. Okay, Marino, you're just trying to get it out. Anyway. <laughs> I just wanted to see. Tell me the I name. Was, I was looking I'm, for your poker face. If it was, you I'm know, keeping, I'm doing. Yeah, I'm keeping the cards real. Keeping the cards real close to my chest here, man. All right. I want to mention because I know we're getting out of here soon. Yeah. But on the prelims that Alessandro Costa versus uh, Jimmy Flick. Jimmy Flick had a rough night. Costa was on, man. I don't know if you guys seen that fight, but Jimmy yeah. Flick was, was trying to bring everything out in the kitchen sink, but that wasn't the headbutt that, one, right? 
No, 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 no. That was elbows from half guard, right? Yes, and it was nasty. Yeah, okay. Up until that point, everything was landing. So, dude, I, 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 Alessandro Costa had a great night. I'm just yeah. like, wanted to point that out, Jimmy. Yeah, I saw the whole. But hey, man, listen, I could talk all day. You know me. What else we got, Mike? Mike, before we let you go, really quick, one little hobby you like to do besides fighting. What do yeah. you like to do on a day off? What do you like to do? Uh, my, honestly, one of my favorite things that isn't combat sports related is, uh, you know, outside of like just nature and, and being active outside and stuff. I love doing, uh, I love escape rooms, man. Like, like big puzzles. I love that stuff. So that's like what me and my fiance do as like our hobby outside of like, oh, we've got a day off. Like, let's go find a cool escape room and, and do that. Like just basically like a series of puzzles. And, and I love that. Like, I kind of, I love having like a puzzle solving mind. That's, that's, that's fun for me and yeah that's that active brain that's that active brain looking for something to work on yeah and honestly like mma is kind of like a big puzzle to me that like tries to solve you back and it's like who's gonna solve who first you know and i kind of like that it's like it's it's you know we're both trying to like we're both trying to disarm a bomb at the same time and whoever disarms theirs first the other one goes off you know like it's cool man I, i i love this kind of stuff where it's like you know, you're, you're working against the clock or you're, you know, you're trying to figure something out. I'm like, okay, what the fuck am I doing? How do I figure this out? Like, all right, just take a second, figure this out. Like logically, what does this, like in something clicks and you're like, you got it. Yes. That's the answer. Like, and then you, you know, move on to the next thing. I love that stuff, man. So fun. That, that safe room stuff, man. I don't know, man. I might end up like Not the Kool-Aid man and get stressed out and be like the guy and break through the fucking wall. I don't think that's for me, Jimmy. Well, there's no. got to be a button to push or something, right? Like if you're like tapping out, there's a, a way to like bird. end it. Oh, they ne- yeah, they never lock you in there except for once I got physically locked in when we were in, I went to Costa Rica and it was like a, a jail cell thing on like, so you're in like an old timely jail cell thing. She's like, okay, I'm going to lock the door and leave. I'm like, dude, if there's a fire, are we just going to fucking die in here? Like, you know, you're not, cu- if there's a fire in the front, you're not running back through to let us out. Oh, is there, it has right. to be some kind of safe word or something. In- well, in, in North America, I don't think it's legal for them to lock you in. But we were in fucking Costa Rica. They were like, all right. Uh, was it Costa Rica? Yeah, it was Costa Rica. They're just like, yeah, we don't fucking care. Whatever. Wow. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, right. Hope you solve it, bud. Good luck. I like nature, too. Every Monday and Wednesday, I do a little bird watching. <laughs> nice. He's, yeah, Matt likes to watch little really? birds. You really? No, nah, yeah, no, nah, Jimmy's my little bird. He's I calling like me a little. I like, <laughs> I like to do this to his chin. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm sorry you had to see that last some part of that. Some things you can't unsee. Uh, <laughs> hey, what do you want to plug, Mike? Anything you want to plug, brother? Uh, I want to say thanks to my coaches for for supporting me through this, man. That was that was a sick time. Obviously, like thanks to the UFC for putting me in that position. Like, I wouldn't have any of these opportunities without them. Without them and. And uh, thanks to the Nelk boys and Happy Dad for for getting behind me this one. That was that was awesome, man. Having like a solid crew behind me for for this fight was was pretty sweet, man. That that felt awesome. You had the Nelk boys with you? Yeah, so we're starting to work together now. So I'm pretty excited about that. We're gonna be gonna be working together moving forward. Just a good Canadian connection, man. That's nice. Awesome, man. Good for you, yeah. man. Well, listen, yeah, congrats on everything, bro. This is thank great. You, brother. Yeah, and come back and see us again, Mike. Maybe before your next fight. I'd love to. Yeah, that would be awesome, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate this. Yeah, great talking to you, man. Congratulations on such a on such a great win and such a high profile win. And she'll be seeing you fight soon. Really excited. Thank you. Thank you guys. That, appreciate you having me. All right, Mike. Thanks so much. Yeah, Mike.
And okay. I guess, Matt, before we go, we should promote your uh, your jujitsu school. Uh, if anybody, I, I'm going to be going out there. I want to go out and uh, take a lesson with the great Matt Sarah. I'm just trying to do a couple of things first. I love it. I'm so happy that you're going to be. I like. I love that you're training. It makes me very happy. I told you that yeah. the other day. Text. And uh, I'm. I I like you're lined up with the right people. Yeah, they're great. Uh, Jedi Mike 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 J. He's and awesome. They're good people there, and yeah. I think you love your jujitsu journey. I really do. And you know, I like the class. I've taken a couple of classes too. Like if if Mike or Jamie isn't available, I want to do classes. So I'm also dealing with guys who are just a little bit above my level, who aren't trying to help me, but who are trying to submit me, and. Uh, Really, really, uh, those guys are helpful too because you're walking into a class and they know more shit than I do. 100%. Uh, and, and like even the other students who are just a little more advanced have all been really helpful. I love it, man. Everybody over there is great. Dude, atmosphere is crucial when, yeah. uh, when you're uh, training, when you're training environment, you know. And I wanted uh, to promote also, I, sorry, Matt. I wanted to promote the Sugarloaf Comedy Festival this Saturday, uh, uh, June the 24th. Uh, I'll be there with Dave Smith from Legion of Skanks, as well as uh, Jim Florentine, one of my closest friends. Um, August 16th, Comedy Mothership, uh, Rogan's Club. I have two shows. The other four have sold out. I have uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, August the 12th. And uh, September 28th is Toronto. Every Wednesday here in New York City, Fat Black Pussycat, I do the hour. You can see all the material. I'm going to be in Austin next week. So uh, just so you guys know, a week from today, I will not be on the show. So let's get that covered. Okay. I will miss you. Yes. And uh, I'll talk to you before then. What else did I have to say? We got that. And that's it. I don't know. I thought I had something else, but it'll probably come to me and I'll probably text as you. As soon as we click off, you'll, you'll think of it. Jimmy, so much fun today. Yeah. 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 Thank you to Mike Malott. That was great. What a, what a fun guy to talk to and a nice guy. And I'll talk to you soon, Matt. Couple of days, brother. Yes, sir. Bye, guys. Bye, Jimmy. Bye, buddy.